0: Pastor Lafleur is actually in town for uh, a wedding. Uh, young Philip Peters, who was, who originally introduced me to uh, Pastor Lafleur ten years ago, uh, got married this weekend. And uh, what, was the, what, do you, what was the major difference between a Haitian wedding and the wedding that you experienced yesterday?
1: This was too short. <laughs> Thirty minutes. <laughs> he said in Haiti they make them uh, sit down. The we bride have to and groom sit because
0: they're going to go four hours. So. I don't know, we just feel like, look, you, we, I do, and then we got to get, we got stuff to do. You know, um, we're trying, fellowship. We're trying to fellowship again. We're trying to, we're trying to beat the rapture, if you know That's what I'm saying. That's right. Um,
1: That's why I got married in 1999 before 2000. Just in case? <laughs> just in case.
0: I wonder how many people did that. Yeah. It was a Y2K marriage, you never know. That's right. Oh. That's really funny. <laughs> I was actually looking at this picture this morning. Yes. Take a look at this Lafleur. This was yes five years ago. It was right after the quake. Indeed. Wow. T- take your go if you can do this. I don't know if you. If you I, I'm throwing you a curveball, but go look at that Lafleur because that's you. Yes. Go back. What was going through your mind at that point? I mean, at that maybe not that moment, but at that <laughs> point, your nation has been crushed. People you know are dead. There's no. Hope, seemingly what was going through your mind at that moment
1: that was a, a very tough moment um, to me it's like Lord will we, will we ever find recovery you know as a, I, I mean to see everything just crushed within 35 seconds so when I came down there and you know we we're trying to help but at the back of our head the big question was always when will there be stability yeah. when will there be stable as a people?
0: Because this was, the ch- this was your church. That's right. Now, the, when the earthquake had happened, there was a lot of people, and I'm very thankful for everybody that jumped on board, but it used to be when we'd fly to Haiti, it was, it was Haitians flying to Haiti, and then a, a handful right. of us Blancs. And now, it's like a lot of Blancs are going that way, and we love it, we're excited about it. But this was the church then, and this is what was sort of unfolding in front of us. We'd already been invested in, for four years before this point. Yes. You'd been there longer. This was your home. This is your, the land that this church is on all around it is the people of his, his uh, heritage. His mother is buried. Yeah. Just if you go to like to the right of those tents. And,
1: so it did seem pretty hopeless, didn't it? Very much so. Like, we, overwhelming. We felt there was no hope. Even in the video that we, you saw, that was prior to the earthquake. We were talking, you know, we saw people living, but there, there was no life even though they were breathing, they had no life because of what was happening around us. The earthquake now, when that happened to us, that was the last nail.
0: It really felt like it, didn't it? We
1: felt, uh uh-uh, hope is gone. But somehow we begin to have friends and partners rallying around. We say we can continue to work this community and see life come again. And we thank God. Even the little building you saw, the little church there, We had to put it down because it was damaged in four sections. Now, even though it was so, we still had to put hundreds of people to sleep inside. Those who couldn't have small tents to put, we had to put them inside. So we're hosting over 250 people around in a little corner, packed them like sardines just to be able to have a roof over their head until. So, but thank God we can say through the hard work, the sense of hope is established in this community again. And people begin to experience life in God. And we begin to see changes taking place. That's what we call transformation. When there was no hope, Christ came in. And his hope himself. As the Bible says, Christ in, hope, in us as the hope of glory. His hope himself. And by bringing him to that community, he come alive. That the people who embrace him, they to come alive, and by extension others around them come alive also. Because they also get to express the same blessing indirectly, and so. Yeah. So this is what we are seeing taking place in this community. We can say life is coming back again.
0: And it's true. Like when I bring people with me now. I almost feel, and Ben, you might feel the same way, because Ben Holton, uh, welcome to town. Happy birthday, Mike, 60. Nice work.
1: Ah. Yes. Right?
0: Ben went down and stayed there for a few months in in the immediate uh, aftermath of the quake and was working, and it was, there was already like, the hope was, it was, going to Haiti was such a struggle for me because it just felt like, where's the hope? Like it was, there was no light, it felt like, and it, the, the transformation takes time, but you know, the good news is, is love is patient. Yes, uh, and when we take people now, I almost feel obligated to say, "Oh, you have no idea what this used to be like." Like I feel this <laughs> obligation to say, "All those pink houses that John Mellencamp sang about—they're here." Like they're yes. all the houses that we built for people that lost their homes in the quake. Uh, Lafleur wanted to paint them pink. Uh, did you know about John Mellencamp? Yeah. Uh, no, you didn't know? no, no, no. Okay. Well, anyway, so <laughs> it just worked out okay for me. Is all I'm saying. Because um, you can look down into the valley and see these pink houses everywhere. But more than that you see light in people's eyes. And what we've said here is that, you know, social justice without Jesus is just, uh, it's welfare. You get a free sandwich, but no hope. And, and so we believe that you want, we want hope for our people. And so we bring them food and we bring them uh, sustenance and, and education, but, but all in Jesus. It's all wrapped up in, in Christ. Because if it were just money, Haiti would be, as many other countries would be, but Haiti would be kicking butt and taking names because 10 billion U.S. tax dollars have been poured into the government of Haiti with nothing to show for it because the money wasn't the answer. All the money is is a tool. That's right. If you don't have a carpenter, Carrie, you're a, a contractor. You, all the tools in the world do you no good if you don't have someone to go, and that's why we invest in people, not programs. Yes. And we have invested, uh, Amy's here, I probably should ask her ahead of time, but... I can safely say hundreds of thousands of dollars have come through the conduit to build homes, to build buildings that are being used for transformation of young men and young women. But here's the thing. If there wasn't a Le Fleur, this would not be there. We invest in a person, not a program. God appoints people, not programs. When they, widows weren't being fed in Acts chapter 6, what, did they start a program? No, they appointed people. And then the people figured it out. So that's what we're doing there and. I have been, we're just so blessed because you've been such a trustworthy uh, advocate because when we first stepped there 10 years ago, I remember looking at it and thinking like this, that little building there without the tents, that's the church and not all of it is the church. If you look under that little on the left, the awning thing, someone actually lives there. So imagine four hours of that on Sunday morning, right? Um, And the building there, that was it. So did you, could you have possibly seen and it's okay if you say yes, by the way. I didn't, just confessing, honestly. Uh, I, 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 could you have envisioned from 15 kids? Because they, when they started, he and his wife personally just took care of 15 kids, took, sent them to school and fed them, and they quickly grew to 75, and now to over 600 in the feeding program, and then another 200 in the uh, preschool and that feeding. And Did you see that? Could you see it back then, or was it just?
1: The reality is I didn't see it. But I remember the word of my wife when she said, you know, we, we can start small, and the Lord will grow it. She said, do not look at the situation and be overwhelmed and don't think you can do nothing. She said, just start. Let us start small. And we began with 10. 10 passed to 15 kids, and we moved to 25. And 75, the rest is history. So that whole thing, at first, I was like, wow. That was the hardest part for me, because I keep on seeing the number. You see, a lot of children... Not going to school, not you know, eating you know, properly and this and, this and that. So, but it's when she said to me, the beginning is always hard, but let us start small. So in her mind, she was just trying to say, it's possible if we keep working it. And we began to do that. And a few years down the road, I began to see it's expanding, expanding. And the earthquake actually, it was a very bad experience. But we, people, many people in Haiti said, they experience the blessing after the quake because there's now an influx of people coming in extra group of people coming in that were not usually coming into haiti then they begin to embrace more of what can happen to help others and that's how now our ministry begin to benefit from some of these support system to really push these programs now as um darren say the key thing for us was investing in people who will make the changes because I mean, I call it empowerment. We empower one, we empower two, we empower three. And that, they too, can help to empower others. And that's what happened to me, for example, when I learned English. Somebody empowered me by sending me to English school. So by that, I said, you know, I can do the very same to empower others. And now we have many of our youngsters now speaking English can communicate, can translate, can, you know, yeah. do things in that community who, in, in be, before, years down the road, years before time, they were not familiar with that language. Yeah. They couldn't do it. Many of them now can use the computer. They couldn't do it. You know, things like that because of what we're seeking to do is to empower them to take matters in their own hands to transform their environment.
0: And that's, uh, I, I think, one of the pictures of this, literally and figuratively, is this, what we experienced uh, a couple weeks ago. Michelle was there with us, my daughter Ashley. But in this photo, we're, we're putting uh, the pieces together for a church that will be up in the mountains. Now, in America, this view, I wish I'd have gotten a different picture of this because you could see Jockmel Bay. It's this beautiful, people in Malibu would pay m- like a lot of money for this kind of a view. Wow. But in a in a uh, developing nation, this is where the poorest of the poor live because it's, there's no access to anything. Yeah, it's a hard work to get up there. I mean, it's yes. like, so building this church is literally like the equivalent of going out and just building something way out in the middle of nowhere. But what I'm loving about this is there's people from American uh, churches there, uh, Conduit Church, but these kids that are there, these are kids that grew up in this church, these were little guys that when I met them, they were like little peanut size. And yes. so now they're teenagers. Tell us how it unfolded that we basically, it's like, our, like if our youth group are going downtown to work with another church helping out, that's what happened. This youth group from this church went and helped build this church.
1: I was preaching up there on the mountain um, to uh, this church. And um, I still do, I told them, well, we're going to try to come up and help you to fill. Because they have to fill this thing or else we're going to have to spend thousands of dollars buying materials to fill the gap or cast uh, a, a, a concrete thing on it, and it's costly to do so. So we said, let's just find rocks and, and sun to fill it. So, and I just say that, and one of the youngsters was Ali, is a teenager, you know, grew up in our church, lead kids' church, and now become a teenager. And he said, Pastor, I got it. I'll get the young people, some of them, some of my guys to come over. And I say, you know, good. I didn't have to go and tell anybody. Hello, let's come and do it whatever he rallied his troop he told me i have 15 on the first day ready to go so he said every day we're gonna go up there with you know we have other guys coming in we have rotation system so we're gonna keep going he put all that together and to get involved and i because i'm one of the things we are teaching them is to is to be local missionaries you may not be able to go far but start locally start doing something around you and they understand that concept. It was a blessing seeing that he motivated the team. And even while we have no other US teams coming in, they on the ground still going back and forth to that mountain church area to try to help them in what they are doing. Yeah. So we are saying in a sense, our investment is not lost because the next generation already got it. Yeah. And for example, I always talk about Farah. Farah is a young lady that um, Shannon and Undine and some of their country friends, They has been sponsored since she was a little girl in kids' church. Now she's a leader in kids' church. She's still a teenager, but leading in kids' church. Always being their concern. No meeting we having for leadership for her not to be part of it. When it comes to leadership, sure. making decisions for the kids and and other, she's part of it. And she's still going to school. I think she's, she's in tenth seven, grade. Seventeen, right? She's about sixteen now, 16. Uh, but you know she got involved so heavily. You know what God is doing among the kids down there. But we saw her started little one running, you know, in kids' church, receiving the teaching that we are giving. Now she's 16 and the church is only 12 years old in that community. So we thank God, you know, for these kind of things that we call investment in people that can affect the kingdom. And these are the, 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 the progressions of stuff that taking place on the ground in Haiti.
0: And what's important about that and in, in what's happening there. Is that a young lady like Pharaoh, Had you have not been obedient, had the, you you know this thing not unfolded like it has, you know Farah would have followed in the footsteps of her of her, own mom. of her own mom. What was her What was her mom's life?
1: In fact, Farah's mother was my schoolmate. <laughs> Strange enough, they love to say, "Well, you made a different choice early in your life." I hated Bible. In, in in my early days in school, you didn't do well in Bible so classes. I didn't do well in Bible classes. I always get zero or one, <laughs> two, three, four. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> so and Farah's mom was in that class, and you know, so we used to joke about it. I, I, a few years ago, I told her. I said, you know, when you were in my, you know, we are my schoolmate. She said, but you know what? There was something different about you. You made the right choices very early in your life. She left school, go and have babies, because you know it's. The poverty, it creates more of that. You, sometimes you say, why poor people have a lot of babies? Well, the system of poverty creates more of that. It generates more of that. So because they were born poor and they felt that was, you know, my, my distraction was fellowshipping. So therefore, I eat a good meal, I fellowship. So I have babies. So that's the kind of concept they have. And that kind of generates more of the poverty system for them. So Pharaoh's mom, have, you know, she had like three kids in that context, even before getting married and all that. But when she gets saved you now in that same community, we begin to teach values to say, you know, if you come to God, it's okay. You can have any lifestyle you want prior to coming to God. When you come to God, you allow him to take over your lifestyle. You cannot remain the same. Because God is able to transform your nature. He's able to transform your inside. So Farah's mom is one of them who accepted the Lord and from there we begin to teach. And then we say, well, why don't you all get married since you live with this man all these years, you know, having these children. So the best way to save the kids, even though your life, whatever, but to save this, you and to show them a different way of life, you need to really do something different. And of course, they don't they, they want to know, I, I don't have money, I don't have this, I don't have that. I said, we don't need any of these things to get married. You need the dress, you need the, you know, this, that, whatever. We will do these things. If you can get somebody to help you to do these, will you? And they say yes. In fact, on that time, when, when on that night when Farah's mom, mommy get married, we had seven couples get married one time. Yeah. We buy, the, we buy the wedding guns and we have some people donate some. We buy the suits, shoes, rings, big body. That's the concept for them to get married. They think all these things must be part of it. So we provided all that, all because we are trying to save kids like far. Because we are saying to the mom and dad, we're doing it for you, but the reality is, is your children. We are targeting so that they can be different. They can see things differently. And right now, I mean, it's, it's a good story to say many of the youngsters now, they have, what they call a good judgment, they become good judgmental people to say, I will not be like mommy. I will not be like daddy. So if you want to have me, we have to be married. So that value is established. Which so is a be- brand new value for a young lady Brand new culture. Totally, because the culture has always been, you know, um, in your teen you get pregnant. Leave school because you cannot go to school. So you get pregnant and then you have one your first baby, another baby. And you see some people become grandparents very young, in their 20s. Why? Because their teenage daughter is also having a baby. That's what used to be the order of that community. So through this teaching of godly values, godly principles, we're seeing a different aspect of things. Until we have one team from the U.S. here, that always come medical team from Conrad Partners in Temple Church in downtown. They came um, and their... OBGYN and um, medical lady love to say she said, I'm shocked by when I'm seeing these young women coming to me she said the, 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 the way they are keeping themselves together, it amazes me her, she said because I thought they would have been loose in loose life, but I realized many of them the younger ones are understanding these values and they're keeping themselves together in a sense, a lot of them are pure girls but before time, no My mom had five kids for five fathers from the very same communities. And I love to say from five different men because fathers take care of their babies. My dad never cared for me. So she had five in the same context. Then our ministry was saying, you know, we want to create an environment to prevent these things from happening to the next generation. And exactly that, now the youngsters are saying, well, if you want to have a relationship, where are you leading me? If marriage is not part of it, don't even talk about it. So they begin to understand this value system from God is the way to go. And we are we, we can go on and on telling many stories, but we thank God for where we are now. Because we are saying now we are saving the next generation pretty much from what happened to their parents.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons that I just felt like it was so timely that you're joining us because, you know, the conversation in America has turned towards sex, sexual identity, towards uh, uh, gender identity. There are things that have been talked about here that are coming from a very Western lens. But when you take off the Western lens and just say, okay, the, the design of God from the very beginning, was there a reason the way that He designed us gender the way he did and the way that he designed us, the the institution of marriage. it's An institution that won't even exist in heaven. We'll talk about that next week, by the way. But why? What is the purpose? Is there, and you take off the Western lens and say, Haiti, it's been said and reported that is the first nation, if you look historically, born of former slaves. They overthrew their French oppressors and resisted and but that's not true. They weren't the first. Israel was the first. Israel was in slavery for 400 years. And they didn't know how to be free. And so what did God do? The giant buzz kill. He camped them in the desert and said, hey, don't have sex with your neighbor's wife. That's not going to go well. Don't take his stuff. Don't kill each other. Don't have any other gods before me. He starts with that. And the realization that the way that he designed it, even right down to when he starts, you look at some of these Levitical laws and you realize, hey, that's, he's talking about hygiene. They didn't know about cholera. They didn't know that if you eat shellfish that hadn't been refrigerated, that that's gonna wrestle your colon to the ground, okay? There are things that they didn't know. I can do that too. Sometimes I do that and then I realize I'm in church. Um, Go ahead. (laughs) uh, They just didn't know. And if you want it, there's a book called None of These Diseases. I cannot remember the author. Google it. You can find it. And this author went back and researched and showed the diseases that the Egyptians and the other surrounding cultures suffered from that Israel did not because of God's commands. There was a reason for them. And when you look to marriage with one man and one woman, I've been to West Africa where there's polygamy. And when you look and you see there's huts, this is for wife number one, this is wife number two, this is wife number three, and wife number four. How can one man possibly feed 28 children? He cannot. It's more poverty. More poverty. But one man and one woman together become this perfect, the genders, the, the roles that they play in each other's lives in raising a child, but inside of that design even is just a practical application a father who's going to be the strong arm that's going to go out and work and try to bring money in, and a, and, a, and a female who is able to, because they don't have daycare there. We have options in America. They just don't have. There's no MAC program. Oh. And so when mama has babies and there's no daddy, and she has to go down to the market and work all day, now you've got babies raising babies, and you end up with Farrah's alternate reality, which was that Farrah would have been pregnant and had at least one baby by the time she was 17. That's right. We have uh, moms down there that you know five, six babies by the time they're 26 years old. They're not loose women. Understand that. These aren't, they, a man comes along, makes a promise, and she's hoping that maybe this is my ticket, and he leaves her with two extra children, and then he leaves. And it's not, but it, but it, so it's not that they're loose women, and it's not that they're loose men per se. It's that they are taking sex and sexuality out of the definement and the design that God gave for it and just like if i were to go home and take the you know the fire pit fire in our backyard and let it out of that it can burn down the entire neighborhood and sexuality outside of god's design can burn down a nation and it has done so in haiti but the good news is the gospel of christ transforms from the inside out to a place where these these women they they view themselves as god views them as valuable and worthy and that they're going to make it and t- let's for that matter tell us about this is Jean-Marie. He is, uh, we jokingly refer to him as the old Spice Man. Uh, and uh, not just because when he takes his shirt off at the beach, even though, but more because when he speaks, he's got this big booming booming voice and speaks with authority. But when I first met Jean-Marie eight or nine years ago, that smile that you see in his eyes wasn't there. He was living, but there was no life Tell us about his family and where he's at now and what's happening in November with him.
1: Well, uh, that's one, uh, one of our successful stories. Uh, Jamari, um, I remember one time I followed a conversation some of the young people were having on Facebook, you know, a train of conversations. And some of them saying, well, it's, they thank God that God, God saved them when they were green. Green means, you know, like a mango. Green. So they, so they, didn't, they said the many things in the world they didn't get to experience, they didn't know about. And so, and I told them, that's a good thing. So just to encourage them. So Jamal is one of them who gets saved when he was 16. And, you know, his mommy and daddy, they have nine children. They're still not married, you know. So, and, but when the ministry stepped in the community, he's one of, one of the first converts at the age of 16. And he said to, you know, I want to follow a pattern. And we began to disciple him, begin to work with him. In fact, um, his fiance said to me um, last week. She said, "You know, I always wanted to have a husband like you guys." And I said, "Like who?" She said, "Like you." Like you see, she called a few of our leaders who have been really helping to transform this community, and um, she said, "But you know what? I think I'm getting it." Yes. She said, "I think I'm getting it," and I she said, "Because I see a lot of the things that you guys taught. I see, I hear them, and I see them in Jamari." So. Now he always said to me, I don't want to get, uh, you know, to have children before I get married. You know, like the other people are doing, because that's what the norm of our community. And that's a, I call it good judgment, being a very good, good judgmental young man to say, well, I don't want to be doing this thing. And because this is what God says. So that way we begin to see, you know, the values that are being taught are embraced strongly by him and his fiance. So now to see two young youngsters from the church, you know, coming up, now begin to understand, I can be different from mommy and daddy. The young lady, her mommy also had nine children, not married. But now she's getting married. Jamari saw two of his sisters get married and they were older than him and they, they got married, but they were pregnant and they were forced to be married in that context. So because theirs has to be the right motive for being married. So that pregnancy pushed them into marriage. So it wasn't really planned prior. So he said, "Noel, well, mine must be different. I will not pregnant have a baby, have babies all over the place before I get married. So we are saying, in a sense, as I love to say, the older generation, we have, I mean, they have missed it and whatever. But the younger ones, we thank God for saving them now. And the younger, younger ones are going to be even stronger. Because even though people say, well, evil getting worse around the world. We saying yes, evil is getting worse. But also the values of God do not change. And when you come to God, the culture of God supersedes your culture. So whatever is your culture, when you come to God, his culture, his, the culture of his kingdom will supersede your culture. And these children who have been there, you know, coming to the church since they were babies like that. So we are seeing now they are exposed to something different that will affect even more the community in a better way. So that's what we are seeing happen. And we thank God for people like Jean-Marie and his fiance, who understand the values and stick into it to see God seeing them through.
0: And he gets married in November. I'm so excited. We're going to be there for that. It's going to be a party.
1: That's what we do it in Haiti. When you, change,
0: <laughs> when you change the culture, it starts at home. And one of the things that you did that I thought was, uh, was really insightful. Again, we put this Western lens on. Take the Western lens off. And when we're building these homes in the, in the aftermath of the quake and what was happening was organizations like USAID and Red Cross were building what you called $5,000 tents. They're yes. just basically wooden tool sheds. But you were insistent on that we were going to build rooms, uh, homes with more than one room in them. Because from the very start in a child's life, tell us what, why is that important that there's more than one room, not just for convenience?
1: I put it very simple. You know, um, pornography, when you just watch a picture of it, it leaves a mark on your mind and on your heart. That's just picture. But if you see the real graphic, it's even worse on video. If you go beyond, you're now seeing it live, it's even leaving greater marks. Now, as a child, my mom, notice I said here, she had five kids, five of us, for five different men, which was always in a one-room house. One-room house. So when mommy thought I was sleeping, most of the time, I was not sleeping. So therefore, I've seen, I've heard. So now I had to make a decision. When we were building these homes, I said, you know what? We have to create an environment for mommy and daddy to have true fellowship without the children.
0: Coin on air, if you know what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, <You> understand. <laughs> so to have really, when they really want to experience each other, kids must not be around to hear or see. So we make this house, one of the first rules. we say, the mummy and daddy's room must have a lock. Amen. So they can lock in for fellowshipping.
0: It's the fellowship hall at home. Yes,
1: that's right. And then we say the other rooms, if you have girls, we say one room for girls, one room for boys. And then these, we don't put door, major door. We have a curtain. We tell and coach them to put. I know in America you guys talk of privacy. But we are saying unto them, 13, 14, 15, 16, and so we're still on the roof. We control that environment. So mommy can easily pass the curtains and say, what's happening here? Daddy can easily do the very same thing. So what we are saying is that's the small steps in helping to change that culture. Because when the kids see these things live, it stimulates them to go and try to experience we are saying now this is different. So that's why we build the homes with multiple wombs. Uh, if we had, well, for example, we, have, we build a small house for a family, which the country's family as a Sebastian, that's a child that Buck is sponsored. And we build one, um, a two room house for her, which is a three room. So, but now she has a daughter who was living outside of the home. Now she brings in that daughter now because it was the boy. So on his own with her and of course with her friend whoever but we said now oh, if you bring the girl into the picture now there has to be a room for her too so if another friend another female wants to come and spend a few days there there must be a room to accommodate the two girls who will not want them to be in the same environment like that because we are fighting a culture that was destructive to our people so it's cost more money but we said to people who are helping us you're helping us let's do it this way so that we can break away from that old concept of having multiple children multiple parents and so and young days of the lives and so teenagers so we are saying now as a good news teenage pregnancy in our community most of the kids now they are thinking education they are thinking god they are saying i want to be a doctor i want to be a lawyer i want to be a teacher i want to be a nurse so this is what we see happening because we say, when God steps into a community, you embrace him, he transforms you, he transforms your environment, he transforms your community at large. And this is what we are seeing taking place in our community right now.
0: And it's true. Like, I'm watching these children who are teenagers now and realizing that Pharaoh is the same age that your mom was when she had you. 17, 16, 17, got yeah, yeah. back like, that teenage life. Yeah, that that path has been averted because Christ has come in and transformed, as it turns out, the design that God had for us, whether it fits in any culture, Western culture, Eastern culture, Haitian culture, that when we say, oh, this is, Lord, you what, you had my best interests in mind with this. It wasn't that you were being harsh. You were saying, oh, this actually works better this way. You know me. It's amazing to actually get to see the transformation over the last decade practically and spiritually and when we think to the future, so the design obviously inside of marriage of male and female, that there are practical reasons for this that, that God designed from the beginning. But when you take it outside of that and then even to with sex trafficking and with abuse, and with rape and with prostitution, out, again, outside of the design. And I think most of us would agree that those things are outside of the design. Tell us how that affects these little ladies right here at Restoration House.
1: Very simple. We have, for example, a lot of these kids, they born in different contexts. cause their context to be born. One of them here, the mom is actually 26. She has six children for different daddies. And we are saying in Haiti, we have kids who are in prostitution at the age of six, seven, eight, nine.
0: Let that sink in.
1: You say, is that true? Yes. If you Google it, you will get that. Some of these kids, well, it's PG thirteen. Some of these kids will tell you, I cannot do XYZ, but I can take bottle. Quote unquote. So we open this home, we say we call it house of restoration. Is to restore the whole man. When it comes to the girls, we say when they are restored in their mind, their heart, they are exposed to an environment that is different from their mommy's experience, they will not be part of the sex trafficking in Port-au-Prince or in Jackmel. Because wherever tourism is huge, sex trafficking is huge too. Jackmel as a city is huge in, in tourism. So sex trafficking among children and young people is huge. So that's why we opened this home, and these children, now we're sending them to school. They have a name, because some of them were born, they had no name. They were not recognized. they like goats. If, I call it worse than a goat, because worse, in Haiti, a worse goat. Than a goat, is what he said. Worse than a goat, <laughs> yes. They are worse than an animal. Because if I'm trading a donkey to Darren, he, he must give me his ID number. And I have to give him my ID number, so we make a contract, so that the goats can belong to him, after all. But these children, some of them, born, no fathers give them a name, they don't have a birth certificate, and so, so when we open that home, is to take them and say, well, we are giving you a better chance to be different, so that whatever is your grandma's experience, whatever is your mom's experience, will not be your experience. If you embrace the values of God, and you hold all these values dear to you till the end. So that's what your life could be if you stay within the system of God. And many of them understand that. And I can tell you, we have one of them, for example, who's 19. Daphne, she looks so young, but she's 19. Um, when she turned 19, I took her out for a, 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 you know, a, a dinner at a restaurant. So I told to her, I'm going to open the doors for you, do this for you, that for you. Then while we were having a conversation, she said to me, you know what? I thank God for you, Daddy. She said, if it wasn't for this program, that way, this home, maybe I could have two children already. Because her mom has five kids for different dads, too. And is her mom living next, next to the church there? Oh, nice. No, next to the church.
0: Oh, oh, the church. Sorry. A little inside. Yes.
1: So now... We, I can go on and on, but just to show you, and that's why we call that place House of Restoration, we are restoring them body, soul, and spirit so that they can be well-groomed young women who will not be part of these things. Now, they're still exposed to the world and whatever, but the teaching, we're constantly putting it before them. It's with God, you cannot fail. With you embrace the values of God, there's a great chance for you to experience success in life because you will have an education, you're gonna be whatever. So the things that your mommy were trying to get you, and because she wanted to get maybe a plate of food, she wanted maybe to send you to school, your kids will be able to go to school because you're gonna have them in the right context. So that's pretty much the birth of House of Restoration and what we are doing.
0: And when you think about it from a perspective of, we can't, it, it does, it feels so overwhelming and we get analysis paralysis. I don't, I, I don't know what to do, so I don't do anything. And as a church even, we just, when you were starting with 15 kids, 15. Restoration House, we were a little Bible study meeting at the listening room in downtown Franklin, and we would just send a few hundred dollars a month when we had it. And this little house became a, a really solid, nice house that is now a house eight years later called Restoration House because we started. Um, I feel like, in, and Benny, you're doing this with a movie right now, but a lot of times if we knew how we were going to figure something out, at the end, we, like if every time I had a tour go on the road, I knew how everything was going to work out, we'd have never had a tour or leave town. There are just some things you got to just take a step and move in that direction. And we moved in that direction with this restoration house, and now there are nine. There will soon be 12 girls total living there. Who I, Look, I, I don't know... A lot about, well, you're, you're, right, I've been around, I know you don't. I don't know a lot about being a pastor or a church, whatever. But, but I know this, that this is a good use of God's money. It's a good use of God's time and God's people to say, not on my watch. If, if every church in our community would rise up, imagine what, the, what could happen. Imagine what could happen if more Lafleurs are brought up. Maybe in this restoration, maybe Daphne, maybe one of these young men or women, they rise up and they're the next Lafleur. Because the fact is, is in America we just say, "Well, we, well that, that's why we have abortion because all these unwanted and undesirable, and un, we can't care for them children." He is the definition of an unwanted, undesirable, couldn't care for him child. Imagine, I shudder to think.
1: Let me say something before you close, Pastor. Um, we have one of the young ladies in our home. Her name is Gael. She's a preteen, so that'll be teenager very soon. When her mom, people always say. I heard some people say the Lord doesn't answer prayer of of, of promiscuous people, or whatever they call it, prostitute. The mom is actually a prostitute. She said she was praying, Lord, I need somewhere to put my child, this child, so that she doesn't follow my footstep. She said, if I'm a thief, I don't want my kids to be a thief, to be thieves. She said, I, I lost my first daughter since she was thirteen been loose in man. That's what the young lady said. She said she had multiple abortions. She said this thing hurt. She said that young daughter, also the oldest one, she said, doctors even said to her, you cannot have another abortion. You might die. And she's only 19 now. She said, I saw if something doesn't happen, I'm going to lose the next one. She said, I've been praying for a home to receive her. And so miraculously, God showed me that little girl in a trance. I finished to pray, and I was meditating on the scripture. Closed my eyes, so it's like I saw the young girl appeared before me. And I'm like, why this young girl thing? And just to find, and I questioned, when I saw her pass on the day, when I saw her, I questioned people about, they said, this is so-and-so child. And I opened that home and received her. Because the mom was saying, I want a place that my child will not be able to follow my footstep because of a different teaching she can get for her life. She said, but that was like an answer to my prayer that home will receive her and we can see her now coming as a young woman, responsible and stuff like that. So, and her older sister, since she's 13, gone. Crazy, crazy life. So, it's If you look at the magnitude of it, you may say, well, so overwhelmed, you might say, well, I cannot do anything. But you start small. You can change one. That one can touch thousands of thousands. Two can put 10,000. You never know what can happen. But the key thing is whatever you find you can do, you do it because you just never know whoever you are touching and what will become of them. And prime example, mommy kept me. She didn't throw me away. She was 17, stopped school. She only went to school for three months in her life. That's the biggest story of her life. But she said she decided to have me. In the midst of it all, she wouldn't throw me away. Life was hard. But I said, now, look what God is doing now. Yeah. All because of she had decided life for me.
0: I'm thankful for the sovereignty of God, you know, for his ability to redeem, and, and even for those of you that made decisions that you regret, you know, in this room, maybe you've gone down that road with abortion, and just the, the beauty of God's redemption and the story of who he is, like you don't have to stand here with any shame or guilt even from that, um, I just felt led to say that, but I just feel like that as a society that I know what the world wants. The world wants to go and throw condoms all over Haiti and say, just go and and act like beasts. But God has this other plan that's so beautiful and so amazing that when we operate within the design that he has given us, uh, amazing things can happen for these young ladies here. Uh, it takes about $1,500 a month to, to take care of this house. Um, food, laundry, staff, electricity. Even though the electricity is only on for 12 hours a day, it's very expensive. <laughs> it's like, how is that possible? Um, our church sends down money that, when we have extra. We don't have anything specifically budgeted for it. Um, through our partners or whatever, but $1,500 a month. We've sent down 500 here, $500 there. Uh, there's a couple hundred. I think it's about $1,200 that still needs to be funded. That's right. to this morning, if the Lord puts it on your heart, just let the Spirit lead. That's what uh, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Hey, what, what is the Spirit telling you? To, 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 what is he saying to you this morning? When the offering bucket comes by, uh, feel free to, in addition to uh, tithes and offerings for, for your local church here, to say, you know, if the Lord wanted to maybe put a little extra to put towards this budget this year, you know, I know that's like uh, $70,000. I can't get my mind wrapped around it. That's okay. What, do, what can you get your mind wrapped around? What is the Spirit leading? That's all we're asking. Because uh, the Lord miraculously provides every month somehow. But I know that's a point of stress for you. It like is. every time we talk, there's one way. It's weight. what it's, I call a heavy burden.
1: Yeah. For this one, for this yeah. home.
0: This is a heavy burden for him. And so just pray about that this morning, if the Lord would would put that on, on your heart. Uh, and if you don't have a checkbook with you or whatever, and you, you, or you want to put on your card, just go to conduitmission.org. Uh, and you can just put uh, restoration house or restore or whatever in the subject line, and we'll make sure 100% of it will get, Down there, we wire down several thousand dollars every month, anyway, for different projects, feeding programs, and things. And we'll just we'll attach that (laughs) to that. So, can I pray for you? And worshippers, would you come back and let's pray for Pastor Lafleur, and and then just uh, uh, and go take on uh, take on the world. Thank
1: you so much. Always a pleasure being here. Bless you.
0: Lord, I'm, uh, I'm so thankful for the friendship that you've built between us. Two, two less likely people, I don't know that they exist, Lord, that you brought us together. Both have Rescued both of us out of poverty, rescued both of us out of, uh, of situations and, and plucked us out and appointed us. And I'm so grateful that your sovereignty brought us together. And I just want to lift up his family as well, Lord. Jeremiah and Elijah. And I'll Lord, that you just, a family that, that you didn't just call him, you called his family. And I'm thankful for the provision that you've given them already. Uh, and I know that there have been days that uh, they gave away money that they didn't have to give. Uh, and I just pray that the, the, these later years of their life that will be even more powerful than the former, That uh, that this vision that you had, that was bigger than, either of us has is, is, is come to pass and we're just so grateful and we give you praise and glory for that and uh, ask for your direction as we move forward that there be uh, you would we can't save the whole country you didn't even call us to but we, what, what is it that we say yes to Lord uh, th- that you have in front of us and pray just a special blessing on his family and on Pastor Lafleur, and on the, the church and the staff of Restoration Church our sister church in Haiti in Jesus name Amen.